So, would you rather eat a piece of chocolate cake or just talk about its ingredients? Would you rather eat a nice juicy steak or just stare at a cow? Oftentimes, we, we listen to a sermon or we sit through a Bible study, and all we really want is to get to the end or get to the part where it's just, tell me what to do now. Yeah, 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 you know, theology is great, but how can I put this into practice? And as a pastor, I love to encounter people who are excited about getting physically practical with their faith. You know, hearing stories about how you're serving in this ministry or you're able to witness to this person or the cool things that happened on that mission trip. Those are wonderful. And, you know, as a pastor, you love to hear them. But as a Christian and even as a pastor, it's easy to become more excited about what I've done than what God has done. To be more excited about what I'm doing than what God is doing. To be focused on the physical while forgetting the spiritual. When it comes to verses like we're, what we're looking at today, it's very tempting to have the mindset of God has saved me to do this. God has saved me in order to do that. But what we need to do is to remember. Remember the foundation that we're standing on. Remember the mercies of God. If you haven't already, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And we're just going to look at two verses today. We did an, an entire chapter last week and one of the hardest chapters probably in the entire Bible to understand well. <laughs> so I figured we'd slow down this week and just do a couple verses. Romans chapter 12, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12 properly happens in your life only when Jesus Christ alone is your righteousness. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God. Paul has just concluded chapter 11 by talking about the mercy of God. God has had mercy on the Gentiles because the Jews refused to accept God's mercy. Israel thought they could attain righteousness on their own. Israel thought that righteousness could be attained by obedience to the law. They either neglected to understand their need for God's mercy or they thought they could earn God's mercy. But neither of those ways is how God's economy works. If we have been chosen by grace, then we have not been chosen because of our works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That's what Paul said in chapter 11, verse 6. And if that was true for Israel, then certainly that's true for us. Too many of us spend our Christian lives trying to prove something to God rather than living in and enjoying the grace and mercy that he has shown us in Jesus Christ. For the Jews, they thought that obedience to the scriptures would bring them life. 
Jesus says in the Gospels. He says, you search, the, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find life. But it is they that speak of me. The scriptures talk about me. I'm the one who is going to bring you life, who gives you life. And many of us are like those Jewish leaders that Jesus talked to. Like Israel that Paul has referenced in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans. Many of us fall into that same trap. We think that what God is after is our obedience. So our lives revolve around whether or not we've obeyed him today. Whether or how much we've sinned today or this week. How much sin is around us. How much disobedience happens in our culture. Trying to look good in front of God. Trying to look good in front of other people. We're too busy putting on a show that we neglect and forget about our foundation. We blind ourselves to what true life looks like in the here and now. And I don't think that we mean to do this, but it is a trap that we fall into. As humans, we are prone to self-righteousness. We are prone to depend on ourselves. This was the story of Israel all throughout the Old Testament, and it's still the story of a lot of us in churches today. The focus is not really on God, but about what I am doing for God, or what I've failed to do for God, or what we as a church are doing for God. This is so much of our problem. We manufacture success to look a certain way. And so much of my life has been spent believing this to one extent or another. Now, many of you knew, know that I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Texas, so Like a good Southern Baptist church, we didn't celebrate Halloween. Instead, we had a fall festival every year. That just happened to always fall on October 31st. And it was fun, right? You know, it was genuinely a time I looked forward to every year. I think still I've never been trick-or-treating because of this, right? I mean, but this full-size gym with a hundred different games and things to do, throw the ball through the hole and get a prize, Toss the rings onto a bottle and get candy. Put the ball into a hole. Throw darts and get candy. Walk around in a circle and what do you get? A cake, right? I mean, what a great game. All you got to do is walk around and you get a cake. I mean, it's fantastic. An entire gym full of these games. One year, the pastor of our church decided to run a booth during the fall festival. He named it something like Stump the wise man. So what you had to do was you had to quote scripture to him without giving the reference. And if he could not guess what book of the Bible it was from, then you got a handful of candy. But if he could name where it came from, then all you got was a little sticker. I remember quoting from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? As a 10-year-old kid, that's a pretty good verse to memorize. Right? I mean, I thought so. But the problem is, a quote from Isaiah 53 to a pastor, I mean... (laughs) See, but the other problem was, the other problem was, I went there to get candy. So I didn't bring my Bible. You know, yes, it was at the church, but that was like the only time that I never brought my Bible. And so I couldn't cram 
immediately before I went into his little booth. So what do you think I got? A sticker. All that work. And all I got was a sticker. So then one of my friends goes up to him. And he says, he quotes, Jesus wept. (laughs) I'm like, man, that's just lame. (laughs) You know, like how sad is that? You couldn't come up with anything better. Now, in, in an awful world, he, w- he got candy, but he did not get candy. This world is cruel to all of us. And the pastor was evenly decisive in his skills. and I'm not sure he gave out a single piece of candy that entire night. I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure any child or adult stood a chance. I mean, our pastor, he knew his Bible. When you grow up in church, one of the things that gets ingrained into you is the need to know God's word. Obey God. Obey your parents. Obey God. Follow these rules. Memorize God's word. Right? How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Do these things so that you don't sin. Do these things so that you obey God. And while all of that is good and true. What my twisted heart said to my mind was focus on yourself. Focus on what you can do. It rarely occurred to me the importance of simply abiding in the mercies of God. For so many years, I would have rather gotten candy for knowing God's word than just to have the simple pleasure of knowing God. It escaped me. Living in the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. The only reason I'm able to live for God is by his mercies, through his mercies, in his mercies. So before we get to the practical outworking of our faith in Romans 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, we have to, we have to understand that we are standing on the firm foundation of the mercies of God. Now, If you're here and you've never experienced the mercies of God, I invite you into it. God is faithful and just to give us his eternal mercy when we put our hope and trust in the risen Jesus Christ. And if you want to experience and understand the mercies of God, then stop trying to earn them for yourself and start depending on Jesus Christ alone for life eternal, and for true life now. Only in light of this truth can we then present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's where we continue moving through our text in verse 1, there in chapter 12. Look again at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, to recap slightly to this point, we are made alive by the mercies of God. And in that foundation, from that foundation, we are then called to serve God. Now, many of you know I'm reading from the ESV translation, and the end of verse 1 there is translated spiritual worship. The NIV says proper worship. The Christian Standard Bible says true worship. 
The King James says reasonable service. And of course, I forgot to look up the easy version. But I'm sure we can get it quickly if we wanted to. But unnecessary at this point. We can look it up later. True way to worship God. True way to worship God. Okay. Right. But whatever version you have, it probably has a footnote that says something like rational service or reasonable service. And the reason why there are so many options is because there's a difficult word to translate there in that phrase. But it's not the first time Paul has referenced that word in this letter. Earlier in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul said this, So you also must consider, and that's the word there, consider. So you, also, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It would be wrong to think that Paul in our text is telling us to physically offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Right? I don't have any knives up here, and blood would stain this whole area. And I don't want to go to jail. Just, you know, some minor details. Right? We're to be a living sacrifice. And the sacrifice begins with your mind. Consider, as spiritual, rational, reasonable creatures who have been brought from death to life, Our minds must now be used. That's what rational, reasonable people do. They consider. They use their minds. As Christians, we must consider the spiritual life that God has given us. Now, many of you also know that my undergrad was in biology. Biology, which is the study of life. More often than not, my classes consisted of studying plant and animal life, how stuff reproduced, how stuff died, why stuff reproduced, why stuff died. Right? One thing that doesn't take long to realize is that humans are able to employ reason in a way that animals and plants simply do not and cannot. Yes, we can train dogs to sit and stay and roll over, and we can fail to train them to not pull on the leash, which, you know, if any one of you want to give us some help with our dogs... And training them to do that, we would appreciate it. Because sometimes our shoulder really hurts after a walk. Many animals can be trained. And animals can exercise some level of reason. What humans alone are capable of, though, is reason in the sense of what one scholar calls the exercise, I quote here, the exercise of deliberate control over our own mental lives. The exercise of deliberate control over our own mental lives. And this, I would argue, is precisely what Paul is alluding to in our text. He is making his appeal to Christians that we should, in view of the mercies of God that we have received, that we should exercise deliberate control over our minds. This is not just a physical exercise. And it has as its purpose more than just simply bodily control. We hear Paul say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and immediately many of us think physical. But that's why the rest of verse 1 is there. The part of our body that he is directly referencing, at least to begin with, is our mind. Our capacity to be logical, to be rational, to be 
reasonable in regard to the mercies of God that we have received. We might also read and hear the phrase spiritual worship and be tempted to think about worship like a worship service or singing songs. We bring Paul's words into our context and we think, okay, I'm just supposed to go to worship service and sing songs. Paul's just telling me to go to church and worship God there. But that's definitely not Paul's point. It's an unfortunate reality in our culture that we have come to regard our church services as the primary place where worship happens. And to regard worship as simply singing songs. If Sunday morning at church, or Sunday afternoon in our case, is the primary place when and where worship happens for you, then I would beg you to consider who and what you're worshiping the rest of the week. I would ask you to consider why worship is not happening all throughout the week. Yes, our church gatherings sure ought to be times when God and God alone is worshiped and praised. It should be a time and space where every minute after the announcements is rightly ordered to serve the purpose of worshiping the God who is worthy of all glory and praise and honor. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's how Paul ended chapter 11. But what about Sunday, what about Sunday nights? What about Monday mornings? What about Thursday nights? What about Saturday afternoons? What about when your good friend just came down with COVID? What about when you fight with your spouse for the umpteenth time over the smallest of inconsequential matters? What about when your 35-year-old friend gets diagnosed with cancer? What about when inflation begins to cut into your profit margin? What about when the national debt continues to climb because the federal government has gone completely off the deep end? What about when that girl you like turns you down and starts dating one of your friends? The writer of Lamentations had a lot to be grieved over. Now, his problems may have been slightly more troubling than teenage romance. Right? Jerusalem had fallen. The nation was taken into captivity. The people of Judah had become slaves and exiles, foreigners in a distant land. Their temple was destroyed. Their homes and lands were taken from them. God had seemingly abandoned them and let the enemy win. But in the, in the middle of the book, in the exact middle of the book of Lamentations, in the middle of it all, the writer, as he's lamenting, says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The mercies of God are new every morning. When your kid throws up in the middle of the night, when your boss yells at you for something out of your control, right? when that family only leaves you a dollar tip on a $50 tab, when you've just yelled at your spouse, when you told a crude joke about someone and didn't realize they were standing within earshot. The mercies of God, they are new every morning. And we sang the song earlier, Blessed be your name, you give and take away. Well, do we only praise God? Do we only worship God whenever he's giving? Or do we still worship him whenever he's taking away? And if you've received the ultimate mercy of God found only in Jesus Christ, then not only 
Are they new every morning, His mercies, but they are forever yours. The mercies of God are forever yours. So shouldn't we then, in response to God's mercy, think about and dwell upon His mercy? Shouldn't our perspective shift? This certainly is a work of the Spirit of God. And Paul has already mentioned this in Romans 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He then says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I take the liberty to say that living according to the flesh includes both works that are unrighteous and works that try to earn righteousness. We certainly do not live by doing the wrong things, but we also do not live simply by doing what seems right. Life, true life, is found in the Spirit. We truly experience life when we stop trying to prove ourselves and start allowing the Spirit to truly live in us. In verse 2 in our text in Romans 12, We continue on. The Spirit says, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. What are some lies of this world that are easy for you to believe? For you, what are some lies that are easy for you to believe? I mean, today in America, we celebrate National Mental Health Day. Many times... Our mental health is messed up because of the lies that we have believed. As Christians, our lives are messed up because of the lies that we have believed. I mean, I can list some for you that I struggle with, right? Preach a good sermon so you can prove you're a good pastor. Obey God so that he'll love you. Don't mess up or God will be displeased with you. We need to take a minute and understand that being conformed to this world is a worldview problem. It's a problem with the mind and how our mind views the world. How we've been taught to view the world. How this culture has trained us. And how our own wandering hearts seek after the temporary pleasures that this world offers. How we can even unknowingly and with minimal effort shortchange God and suppress his truth. The lies that we believe that say you in and of yourself are good enough. That your primary concern should be yourself. Love yourself. Exercise self-love. The lies that we believe on the other side that say you're no good. That you need that person's approval. That you've made too many mistakes in your life. That you're not smart enough. That you're not good looking enough. That you're not young enough. You're not old enough. But being transformed by the renewal of our mind, which is that next phrase there in verse 2. Being transformed by the renewal of our mind means remembering the gospel. Remembering the mercies of God. Reminding ourselves that our worth is not found in what we've done or what we can do, but in who God is. And what he has done for us in Christ. And then putting that on repeat. 
It's knowing that because I am trusting Christ alone for salvation that I don't have to prove myself to you and I don't have to prove myself to God. I am accepted because of Christ. I am loved because of Christ. I am forgiven because of Christ. And so there is nothing left to prove. Do we believe this? The never-ending mercies of God are found in Christ. So what my focus shifts to is not my performance, but Christ's performance. As a Christian, this has to become our focus in all areas of our lives because this is the focus of the Spirit of God. This is what brings the experience of true life into our lives. And this idea, the experience of true life in our lives, this is what Paul is referencing in the end of verse 2. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we've come to another spot in our text where you'll find different translations saying different things. So here's what I'm proposing so that we can better understand Paul's point as we begin to wrap this all up. He's not telling us that we have to figure out the will of God as if it's a mystery. And he's not telling us that we have to prove it to be true. It's not our place to put God to the test, as James makes clear. He is telling us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul is telling us to try it, to experience it. And if we try it, when we experience it, we will quickly understand how good and acceptable and perfect a mind set on the Spirit truly is. That thinking this way and living this way is truly better. In this life, we are so tempted to concentrate on what's immediately in front of us that we never give ourselves a chance to really experience that which is eternal. The lust for immediate satisfaction and gratification clouds our judgment. We become enslaved to the temporary things of this world and never experience that which is good and acceptable and perfect. But when you do the will of God as you depend on the mercy of God, you experience that God's plan is good and acceptable and perfect. You come to find out that God's ways are better. We begin to long for the fruit of the Spirit. We are able to enjoy the richness of this life without the riches of this world. So how can we fight the temptations that this world and our fallen hearts bring? First, I would say, remember the mercies of God. My sins, they are many. My faults are too many to count. My failures are ever before me. My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Remember the mercies of God. Second, I would say, serve God with your mind by thinking this way. In all circumstances, remember the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. When we are tempted to despair, dare to trust. Dare to trust in Christ through the Spirit He has given to you. 
train your mind to remember the gospel. And lastly, I would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do his will in dependence on his mercies, and you will experience true life. Try it. You'll like it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I'll end with this story from Mark chapter 10. Jesus came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you called out to Jesus for mercy? Is it a regular pattern of your life that you remember the mercies of God and that you look to Jesus Christ alone for the mercy that we need? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have shown us mercy. God, help our troubled minds when we are in despair and when we are prideful. And anywhere in between, help us to call upon your mercies. God, would your spirit change our hearts so that in all circumstances we remember your mercies and we depend on your mercies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.